I want you to meet Tim Reed. Tim is a listener of the podcast. He had read the Building a Story Brand book, but he wasn't quite confident that he was applying the framework to his business the right way. He recently attended one of our live marketing workshops here in Nashville and everything changed. I had a lot of gut instincts in my business and they had moved the needle a little bit, but I didn't know why. As I slowly started to learn the story brand framework through the podcast and eventually the book, I learned with radical clarity why certain things worked and why others didn't. It also gave me a path to move forward with where to go next in my business. Now, I learned the framework so well that I was nervous about going to the workshop because I, I really thought that I knew it. I had applied it to the best of my abilities in my business and I'd seen some results. So in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I wanna spend a few thousand dollars just to have someone read the book out loud to me at the workshop. So when I went to the workshop, I didn't totally know what to expect. And what I found is that the magic is not in the theory. The magic's in the application. Since the live workshop, I've had meetings with presidents of publicly traded companies that I knocked out of the park thanks to prepping ahead of time with the StoryBrand framework. I've given keynote speeches, I've written sales letters, I've used it to help grow my sales teams that I run. StoryBrand has made more than a million dollar difference in my business, and I know it can do the same for you. We know that when you actually implement the StoryBrand framework and implement it correctly, your business will win. My entire dissertation was studying the success that companies have after they implement. And I will tell you this, all of the data says that when you implement it, when you put it in your website, when you put it in your emails, when you put it in your one-liner, you will see greater success. If you've read the book and listened to the podcast, but you want to know that you're doing it right, come to our May Live workshop in Nashville. We'll take you through the process and give you an actual execution plan to completely re-energize your marketing. Go to storybrand.com to register today and I and Don and everyone else from our team will see you there. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. I love saying it. <laughs> Hi, Don. Dr. J. You know, everybody's wanted to shorten it to Dr. J. Yeah. We yes. can't do that, though. That's, I think no, that's disrespectful. That Dr. J.J. Yeah, Dr. J.J. Yes. <laughs> J.J. is already short. <laughs> or just Dr. Peterson. Uh-huh. Oh, that works. Actually. Yeah. Well, I don't know why we didn't think of that first. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to those who didn't hear the podcast last week. JJ got his PhD and I just love calling him Dr. JJ Peterson. <laughs> Nobody deserves it more. JJ, I'm wondering, you know, today's episode is actually about your emotions getting hijacked. Yeah. It's about the fact, the reality that we are not robots. Yeah. We are human beings who have a whole wide range of emotions. Yeah. And the more that you acknowledge mm -hmm. that you are largely irrational and largely emotional, the easier it is to navigate the world. And in the business community, this comes in all the time. If you have to sit down and let somebody go, you yeah. best understand this is an emotional situation. Yeah. And if you don't, and you just go, okay, I'm going to remove all the personal emotion out of this, and we're going to go straight professional, yeah. that's going to be a very, very painful conversation. It's going to be easier for you, yeah. but it's going to be debilitating for the person that you're talking and, to. And uh, sometimes damaging, ultimately, well, for yeah, you and, and probably for Probably the, the statistics will be mostly it's going to be damaging. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? A lot of times, you know, emotions get a bad rap. I'm a very mm -hmm. emotional person. <laughs> like, you know. Are you emotional I, or are you sentimental? I'm sentimental. Yeah, I'm very sentimental. Because I'm sentimental yeah. too, but I'm not emotional. Yeah, I'm very sentimental. I will cry at the drop of a hat. You know, emotions get a bad rap, but 
emotions in and of themselves are not bad. No. It's, it's what they're pointing to, what's causing those emotions, what those emotions are pointing to, what they're grounded in, the relational aspect and importance that is happening right in front of you that that's connected to. And when you understand where the emotion is coming from, you can actually understand how you can use that emotion to serve you and serve the others around that's you. That's right. It's something that you've got to dance with. And, you know, I'm going to stop saying got to dance with. It's something that you get to dance with. Yeah. Raising your EQ will improve your ability as a business leader more than your IQ. Yes. And, yes. you know, you got to be intelligent. But if you have emotional intelligence, yep. you're going to rise to the top. And because Human beings are emotional. We're not robots. Well, that's what today's interview is about. It's Dr. Susan David from Harvard Medical, and she wrote a book called Emotional Agility. And she literally helps leaders understand their own emotions and how to navigate them to become better leaders. It is yeah. fantastic stuff. But if you get hijacked by your emotions, which, by the way, man, that can derail your career so quickly. Yeah. Something happened recently in my professional career where somebody got hijacked by their emotions. I mean, this is a wonderful, wonderful person who does great work. They got hijacked by their emotions. They made two phone calls, and I thought they were one more phone call away from ending their career. Yeah. And they didn't even know they were doing it. They were just emotionally reacting and responding. Yep. And it was a couple dumb moves. And she walks us through a process of de-escalating that and understanding it and turn that thing that's going to derail your career into an actual guide that advances your career. Yes. It's good stuff. Here's my conversation with Dr. Susan David. Again, the book is Emotional Agility. Dr. Susan David, thank you for joining us. So delighted to be here. This is one of my favorite subjects because I'm convinced that we are not entirely rational beings. And when I say not entirely rational, I mean basically not rational at all. We tend to make decisions and then justify those decisions with our rational brain, but we didn't come to the conclusions we came to rationally. That makes an enormous difference in business because we're making decisions all the time that we have to understand are not rational. And we're also dealing with employees and customers who are not rational either. Tell me a little bit. Give me a, a synopsis. I know you've got your TED Talk, The Gift and Power of Emotional Courage, and your book, Emotional Agility. But will you give me a summary of how the brain really works, really how we make decisions? You want a summary of how the brain works? <laughs> <laughs> Just an easy question to start off. Speaking of irrational questions. <laughs> well, most of my work focuses on one question. Okay. And it's a very simple, difficult question, which is, what does it take internally in the way we deal with how our brain works, in the way we deal with our thoughts, our emotions, and our stories that help us to thrive in the world. So help us to thrive effectively in business, in hiring, and making business decisions and performance, but also in parenting and our relationships. And what I explore in my work is, yes, how often people come to decisions that are very quick decisions. They might be intuitive decisions and very often it is helpful for us to understand, firstly, why we jump to decisions, how they can help us and how they can harm us, but also more importantly, how our emotions can serve a critical purpose in helping us to be more effective in business. Because often when we go to this discussion about, you know, should we be rational or should we be emotional? there is the idea that we can choose one or the other. But fundamentally, we are who we are as human beings, and it is so critical 
to recognize that our thoughts and our emotions can and do every aspect of how we love, you know, how we come to our relationships, how we live, whether we are able to undertake effective health goals and exercise goals and so on, how we parent and also how we lead in our businesses. And so most of my work on emotional agility is really focused on this idea of how to navigate our emotional world in a way that is productive and beautiful and thoughtful and curious and is also true to the reality of us as human beings. So give me an example of a point of decision that you would say, if you have this point of decision, whether it's acquiring a company or confronting somebody who has infringed upon your IP or firing somebody or whatever, give me an example of if you go this way, that's not good. And if you approach that decision this way, it is much better. I think one of the most fundamental and beautiful ideas on emotional agility and that I talked to in my book comes from uh, Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl describes, yeah, this beautiful, beautiful, you know, between stimulus and response, there is a space. Hmm. And in that space is our power to choose. And in that choice lies our growth and freedom. Now, when we are emotionally in agile, we become hooked by our thoughts and our emotions and our stories. And so I'll give you some examples. We might have a thought, which is, I would really love to take my business in this particular direction, but I'm not good enough. Hmm. We might have an emotion and the emotion might be boredom or frustration or anger or fear or being clenched into a sense of expectations about others. Or we might even have stories. And some of those stories were written on our mental chalkboards in grade three, you know, stories Hmm. about who we are what kind of people we are, what's you know good for us, what's not, what our strengths are, and so on. Now, it's not that these stories are wrong or that these thoughts are wrong or these emotions are wrong. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot in my work is that there's no good or bad thought. There's no good or bad emotion. Even though we live in a world that tells us we should think positive all the time and be positive, in reality, our emotions – And our thoughts have evolved to help us as a species to survive. And so there's no bad emotion. There's no bad thought. But what starts to sometimes happen is we start to become hooked. There's no space between stimulus and response. And so we, instead of acting from our values, instead we act from our emotions. So let me give you some examples. I'm in a meeting where I feel undermined. So I shut down. I'm upset with someone. And so I have it out with them. Hmm. My business partner starts in on the finances. And so I leave the room. So these are all situations where we might be overcome by our thoughts, our emotions, and our stories, or we start treating them as fact. We start saying, because I think my boss is an idiot, my boss really is an idiot. (laughs) Okay. And so what we start doing is we start treating our thoughts, emotions as fact. And in doing that, what we aren't doing is asking some of the most important questions that exist for us as leaders and as parents, as business people, which is, who do I want to be in this situation? Ooh, let me pause there because there's so much to unpack. We just interviewed Sean Webb, who wrote a book called Mind Hacking Happiness. Yeah. And he pointed to all these studies that say, you know, in the midst of being angry, if you can stop and say, I'm angry, or he actually phrases it this way, the me is angry, 
it down-regulates the actual anger, just the acknowledgement of the emotion. Of course, the presupposition there is that your emotion is separate from who you are, which is actually a major thought that you are not your emotions. Correct. When Viktor Frankl says, hey, put space between a feeling and a reaction, he's actually saying, in a way, I don't want you to put words in Dr. Frankl's mouth, but he would sort of say, consider your emotions a consultant and not often the greatest consultant and sometimes very good, but you need to sit and think about what those emotions are telling you to do. And then you seem like you're giving similar advice and saying, make sure you know what your identity is and don't let the emotion become your identity. Is that, am I circling around something that's helpful? Yeah. I mean, if we think about it, we aren't our emotions. We have emotions, but we aren't our emotions. Hmm. We aren't our thoughts. You know, the fact that I think, you know, I'll make up a thought right now. I am a bad mom. It doesn't mean that because I had the thought that I am a bad mom. It means that I had a thought. And so one of the things that I talk about in my TED talk and I describe a lot in emotional agility is that, you know, we live in a world that would have us believe that we've got good and bad emotions, good and bad thoughts. But actually, that's a very reductionistic view of human behaviors. We as human beings are beautiful and big and complex enough to have a full range of emotions, thoughts, experiences, and not be defined by any one of them. So in a very practical sense, you know, I am sad. When you say I am sad, what it's describing is the idea that all of you, 100% of you, I am, everything is sad. But what that does is it doesn't allow space for the other parts of you the part of curiosity. What is the sadness telling me is important and that might be missing Hmm. from me right now? Wisdom, values, who do I want to be in this situation? So yeah, a core part of emotional agility is, I talk about four different steps or four different aspects of emotional agility. And a really important part of it is what I talk about, which is showing up to the sadness. So simply by saying, this is where I am. I am clenched into myself with expectation of all of my staff members, or I am feeling stressed, or I'm sad, or I'm bored. Simply by showing up to our emotional experience with a sense of compassion, compassion because these are human experiences and human emotions, and curiosity. Simply doing that de-escalates the emotional experience for us. And just by the way, you know, even though we're speaking in a leadership context, we know the same applies to children, that when our child comes home from school and might say, you know, daddy, no one would play with me today, and the child's really sad, with really good intentions, what we might try to do as a parent is to push aside those difficult emotions and only allow for the positive. So we might say something like, you know, don't worry, I'll play with you. Mm. If the child says something like, Jack didn't play with me today, now I'm not going to play with him tomorrow, that in Viktor Frankl's terms is a lack of space between stimulus and response. Mm. Now, if we can show up to that emotion and we can start saying to the child, you know, it sounds like you said We help the child label the emotion, but more than that, we then start saying to them, it sounds like being in a situation where people play with you is really important. Belonging is important to you. And what we're starting to do here is we're starting to signpost that underneath the sadness is a value Mm. 
that value is often masked by the difficult emotion, but it's signposted by the emotion. Belonging is important to you. What we're actually starting to do is we're starting to develop the child's sense of I'm not defined by my emotion. I have skills to be with and navigate all emotions. And I can actually learn from those emotions. And I can start thinking about how can I belong better in this environment at school? This is very different than repressing your emotions. Completely different. Completely, completely different from saying, I'll give you a cupcake and you'll feel better. Or if you're angry, go to your room. Now, take these ideas and we think about how we apply them in business, which is that when we feel difficult emotions, we might be in a business environment where we feel like, oh, we've just got to get on with it. We've just got to grit through it. We've just got to be positive. But if we can just show up to the difficult emotion and say, what is it that I'm feeling? What we start realizing is that beneath that difficult emotion is often a signpost to the things that we care about. I've never met someone who, you know, is saying I'm frustrated at work, where the signpost might be, it's because I'm bored and growth is an important value to me. Hmm. The lesson that we can do, the actionable lesson might be when we feel something that might be trying to hijack us or shut us down, we would say, what value is being stepped on here or being triggered here that I need to acknowledge and then that needs to help me understand what to do next? Correct. Okay. Now, because I'm bored at work doesn't mean I need to be hooked by that emotion. Our emotions are data. They are not directives. Wow. That's huge. You know, so our emotion, I'm feeling bored and I'll just use that as an example, but it could be sad or frustration, whatever. So I'm frustrated at work. If I show up to it and I say, what is that a signpost of that's important to me? Oh, it's a signpost that my frustration that I'm not being seen or that I'm not experiencing enough collaboration or that I am actually not growing in my job. What we're starting to do is we're starting to get a sense of what our values are that are underneath that emotion. But the important thing here is, again, our emotions are data, not directives. It doesn't mean because I'm not experiencing growth, I've now got to leave my job today. Hmm. It doesn't mean because I'm angry with the person, I've got to have it out with them. What we are able to start to do is we start to create space and we can start saying, okay, growth is really important for me. What do I need to do in this situation that's serving my growth here? What are some small changes that I can make in this environment and who I'm communicating with and how I'm collaborating in the types of projects that I'm taking on? What are ways that I can make tiny tweaks that bring me more into values alignment. The fact that you feel something doesn't mean you need to act on it. The fact that you feel something means that we give pause. We say, what is this value that's being pointed to? And now how can I take actions that are in the direction of my values? And what you're doing here is you're now not being driven by the emotion or the thought, you're being informed by it. Right. I think it was yesterday, and you might have read the article, could have been the day before. I can't remember if it was Business Insider or somebody else reprinting, maybe Psychology Today. But they talked about where procrastination comes from. Did you happen to see that article? I did, and it speaks to some of the work that I've done, which is yeah. really talking about this idea that procrastination is – often when people it's think emotional. of procrastination, you know, exactly. They think of procrastination as, oh, I'm just 
procrastinating. But actually, procrastination is a way that we regulate our emotions. So when we procrastinate, what we're often trying to do is we're trying to put off something that feels difficult or challenging. And we regulate our emotions in many different ways and in ways that are healthy and not. And so often when we're feeling frustrated or angry or, you know, upset about something or stressed, what we can do is we can partake in short-term strategies. And these are strategies like we overeat <laughs> or we oversleep or we avoid the task. So we're procrastinating and we can engage in these short-term strategies that are just not effective. We can also engage in short-term strategies that are effective. We can go for a run. We can have a discussion with a person. But ultimately, the most effective emotion regulation strategies are where you start bringing your value front of mind. And I think when we think about procrastination as an example, often what we do in business is we say, I have to do this thing. I have to give this person feedback. I really don't want to. I have to get on with this task because I've been putting it off. So a lot of times what we do in business and in life is we develop what I in emotional agility call have-to goals. Have-to goals are derived out of a sense of shame or obligation. Even the goal of I have to exercise or I have to lose weight, it's often derived out of a sense of shame or obligation. You've got mm. people tugging at you, wagging their finger, or you wagging your finger at yourself. Now, what's really interesting is have-to goals are actually, in general, we know not sustainable. When you say, I have to exercise, and it comes from a place of obligation, we know that over time, people's ability to sustain that change, to keep exercising in a way that is full-hearted and intentional, drops off and people give up. The same of, I have to give the person feedback. When you go into that feedback with a, I have to goal, I have to give them feedback, we know that the feedback is likely to be less productive. You might skirt the issue. You might not give the feedback in a way that allows the person to feel connected with it and to actually make change. So what's really interesting is these have-to goals, ways that we often try to regulate our emotions, don't tend to work. And so this is why what I talk about in emotional agility is this idea of if you can show up to the difficult emotion and you can say, why is it that I'm avoiding giving the person feedback? Like, what is it about the situation that is upsetting me or leading me to regulate in this particular way? And then you can start saying, now, what is my why here? What are my values? Who do I want to be in the situation? You might say, okay, well, a value that's really important is fairness. Okay. Hmm. So let's use this as an example. Fairness. How fair is it? to the person if I don't give them feedback? How fair is it to the organization? How fair is it to the rest of the team? So what I'm doing now is I'm bringing this fairness front and center, and we turn the have-to goal into a want-to goal. A want-to goal is a goal that's informed by your values, who you want to be in the situation. And what you'll see is if you come to the feedback with a want-to goal, how can I be fair in giving this feedback. Your stance is so different. Your openness, your curiosity, everything is different. You're now not being hooked by the emotion. 
you being agile, you using the emotion to inform your actions in a way that is values congruent. And the result, as we know from the research and people who've experienced this in life, all of us, is that when you do something that feels wholehearted, that you're behind, it's much more likely to be sustainable and much more likely to be effective. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Dr. Susan David in just a moment. Hey, listen, would you like somebody to develop you, to coach you, to be a business coach to you? Go to businessmadesimple.com and I'm going to send you a daily free video. This isn't going to cost you anything. A daily free five-minute video every workday morning. You can pour yourself a cup of coffee, open up your laptop or your phone or your iPad and get a five-minute business tip from me that is designed to make you money save you money, or in some way advance your professional career. It's stuff like how to hire somebody, how to let somebody go. Again, you know, even with Dr. David, what we're talking about, how to not get hijacked by your emotions, how to smell in your company what is profitable, what is not profitable, on and on and on. We're recording over 250 of them because we've learned a lot on this podcast, but wouldn't it be great if they were distilled into a five-minute video that actually advanced your career? It's an incredible tool. I think the best thing that we've ever created, businessmadesimple.com. Go to businessmadesimple.com. Sign up today. Sign up everybody in your company or ask them to go sign up. And everybody in your company is going to start out the day being a lot smarter about how to do business. You're going to love it. Go to businessmadesimple.com. It's free, businessmadesimple.com. Let's give an example that we may all face. I would like to wake up in the morning and get 45 minutes of exercise every morning from here on out. Morning number one, I wake up and I say, I have to go exercise. I hate exercising. It's not yet a habit. Walk me through exactly how to go from have to to want to as I'm laying there in bed, (laughs) not wanting to get out and face the cold morning. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, okay, so I have to exercise. Right. What we know when we say I have to, is that our brains automatically resist the thing that we have to do. This gets into this whole idea of like, we don't like authoritarianism, even if it's from us. Agree. (laughs) Even if it's us making us do something, we resist. If you decide that you have to never eat chocolate cake again, all you do is dream about, want, (laughs) desire the chocolate cake. Our brains rebel. So when you start saying, I have to, you might begrudgingly get up that morning and go for a run. But in general, what we know is that day two, it's difficult to keep whipping yourself. Mm. So day two, it's less likely to be sustained. Day three, it's likely to drop off. If instead you can start saying, what is the value that underpins this need to exercise? And instead of going, you know, I have to do it, you start saying something like, exercise and doing this particular thing allows me to, you know, be able to be more present and connected with my family because I feel healthier, I'm happier, and I'm likely to be around for longer. And so you use that motivation in a way that connects with your value, your values of your family. What you're doing is you're starting to go from a have-to goal into a want-to goal. A want-to goal is the sense of, why is this thing really important to me? And this is just critical to us as human beings. When we've got a straighter line between 
the thing that we're trying to do and why it's important, it's much more likely to get out of bed. Now, not saying you're going to get out with joy in your heart and a right. spring in your step, but it's much easier for us when we have that goal front of mind and the value front of mind to sustain the behavior. Then there are things that we can do that I could talk about in my book, which is we we can actually use the physics of uh, habit change to sustain that. So, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to set up our environment in a way that supports this one-two goal. Now, the, again, the same thing applies in business and in leadership. When we go into a meeting, I've never met a leader who says, I don't care about people. I don't want to be inclusive. I want to act like a complete, you know, know-it-all in this meeting. But what sometimes happens is we go into the meeting and we feel undermined or we feel stressed and so we shut down. If instead we're going into a difficult meeting and we're saying, I know I'm going into this difficult meeting, what is it that my fears are? What is it that's my challenges? And what are my values? Who do I want to be in this meeting? How do I want to feel at the end of this meeting? Oh, I want to be collaborative or fairness or I want to be a contributor. Hmm. What this enables us to do is it enables us to not ignore our emotions but to not be dictated to by them. So again, hmm. they're data, not directives. And this really serves us. I worked with a CEO many years ago when he went into meetings would often when he felt undermined, shut down and start taking millions of notes and his body language was very off to the rest of the meeting. And so he had this environmental cue that we set up, which was his intent is to show up. His intent is to be collaborative, but often what we need is a habitual cue to remind us. And so he used to draw a little smiley face on his notepad. And every single time he leaned down to write, it would cue him, hmm. look people in the face. It would look, remind him of those core values and his identity that he's leaning into. Correct. Because we can all lean into the good parts of ourselves and the not great parts of ourselves and then the best parts of ourselves. And if we emotionally agile, we use our thoughts and emotions in ways that allow us to lean into the parts of ourselves that most serve who, who we want to be in the world. You say on page 12 of the book, after you've uncluttered and calmed your mental processes and then created the space we need between the thoughts and the thinker, you can begin to focus more on what we're really about, our core values, our most important goals. Is there a process that you go through or that you coach clients to go through that helps them identify those core values and goals so that we know when we're regulating our emotions to align them to values that exist, or is it an in-the-moment thing where you're trying to define those values as you go? So this is really interesting. What we know from work in general is that having our values front and center is actually critical. Wow. Uh, all of us get subject to social contagion. All of us get subject to, you know, what we call the ability for us to almost pick up on other people's behaviors without even realizing it. So, for instance, we might go for a meal and we might, you know, to use our example previously, we might be trying to be healthier. And when we are surrounded by a whole lot of people and everyone else is ordering dessert, we are more likely to order dessert. If someone else is driving a nice car, we are more likely to want to drive that nice car. So what's really interesting is we, in subtle ways, often without even realizing it, pick up 
behaviors from other people. We go into a meeting, everyone's on their phone, we take out our phone. And so we start saying to ourselves, well, how can we protect ourselves? How can we be clearer that we are walking our why, our sense of what's important? And as it turns out, the need to have not in a long-winded, now I've got to go on a three-week retreat to decide what my values are, but in an intentional way to think about like, what are the top, you know, two or three things that are actually really important to me in how I live my life? What we're doing here is we're moving values from this cheesy abstract idea into qualities of action. Hmm. And this is actually really important. Now, if listeners say, oh my goodness, I've got no idea where to even start that's not unusual because we live our lives in such a busy way that pausing and thinking like, who do I want to be? What is important to me? And how might that be different from when I was 16 year old or, you know, 10 years ago is often not something we give space to. So one of the first ways to start defining values is to start thinking about what is it that I did today that was worthwhile? Now, this is not, what did I do today that I enjoyed? What did I do today that was worthwhile? And why not enjoyed? Because sometimes what we can do is, you know, we can, you know, go to a party, drink a lot and have a lot of fun, but it's not the same as something that feels worthwhile. The things that are worthwhile often take a bit of discomfort they often move us into zones that are new and yet growth oriented. It might be that like difficult conversation. It might be really coming face to face with someone and sorting out an issue in a way that feels that it's got integrity and is clean and is not, you know, some kind of messy game playing context. And so thinking about what did I do today that was worthwhile can really be a very important part in starting to point us to our values. And in my book, I talk about a whole lot of different strategies. But what we can start recognizing is, oh, it was when I was connecting with others hmm. or it's when I was being vulnerable or it's when I was collaborating. Yes, my work is very silent work. But when I was collaborating, that's what was connecting for me. So this is a really good way to start surfacing values. And do you keep them in a journal or do you write them on an index card? What is the practical tool you use? When we say what is worthwhile and what is not worthwhile, there's a presupposition there that we know we're going from New York to Los Angeles. If we know we're going from New York to Los Angeles, we end up in Tallahassee, Florida. We know we are not in a worthwhile <laughs> venture, right? So we have to define, here's the person I want to become. And it sounds like the whole exercise is align your identity, your emotions, and your actions. And if you can get your identity, your emotions, your actions in line, you're going to be fairly productive and healthy. But that is an exercise. Do you go through that in the book? Here's how to define what's New York for me, and I'll know whether or not what I'm doing is worthwhile. Yeah, I talk about all of these aspects in the book. So in the book, I talk about firstly showing up, and showing up is really ending this idea that we've got good and bad emotions, or I should push my emotions aside, or I should even push other people's emotions aside. You know, for business leaders, often business leaders will say things like, you know, you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. You're with me or you're against me. And what we're often doing there is we are pushing aside other people's difficult emotions. And, you know, here's hmm. the rub, is there is no agility that's possible in organizations without an openness to the full range of 
emotional experience. And here's why I say this. If you want people to innovate, the flip side of innovation is that there's going to be failure. Right. And if you try to get innovation, but you're not open to the emotions that are going to come with failure, you ain't going to get innovation. If you say, you know, we want collaboration, the flip side of collaboration is that there is going to be conflict because when you bring different mm. viewpoints into the room, there will be conflict. Now, if you say we want collaboration, but we don't want conflict, we only want positivity, you ain't going to get collaboration. And so the first part of, you know, this emotional agility piece is about ending the struggle with what emotions are allowed and not allowed and really allowing for the full range of emotional experience. Now, to answer your question about starting to surface values, yeah, there are different ways that I describe in doing this. You know, just even saying to myself at the beginning of each day, what did I do that was worthwhile? Or at the end of the day, what did I do that was worthwhile? is a core part. Or when you know you're going into a difficult meeting, saying, who do I most want to be in the meeting? That is a signpost to your values. When you have a difficult experience and you're sad or you're angry, what is this sadness or anger pointing to that's important to me? What you'll start doing is if you ask these actually fairly simple questions in a more frequent way, you start getting a sense of this is what's important to me. This is fundamentally when I feel most growth-oriented and alive. This is what is important. This sounds like a wonderful exercise to take from this podcast, just the self-discovery of feeling your emotions, listening to them, hearing them, considering them as data, not directives, in the process of discovering who we really are, who we want to be. What is the beautiful life that we want to live? And the other thing that I would add, and maybe you could contend with this or agree with it, but not all of us are going to have the same core values. And so when we bring a team of 20 people together, we're all going to have these really beautiful reflections of core values that create kind of a stained glass window in which we can get a lot more done and express a great deal more. And we should honor that as well. Yes. And in research with large organizations, looking at when we've got hotspots in these organizations, where we've got these parts of the organizations, these pockets where, you know, there's great levels of engagement and effective culture. And we know three years predictively that when you've got these hotspots, they account for, you know, around $110,000 more in revenues per person, lower wow. levels of turnover and so on. And you start saying, what is the leader doing in those hotspots? And there are a number of things that I find in my work, but one of the core things that the leader's doing is they're saying, Yes, there's all this change. Yes, there's all this chaos. Yes, we can't predict whether the product is going to be delivered in the way that we had expected. But who do we want to be as a team, even in the context of this difficulty? Hmm. Like, what is our shared sense of why? Because we come with our values as individuals, but a really important part of the glue that holds the team together is what is my shared sense of why? What is our shared sense of why? How do we want to, even in the context of the difficulty, how do we want to interact with each other? How do we want to come to the situation? Beautiful. Dr. Susan David, the book is Emotional Agility. You have a test that we can figure out. Do we figure out how healthy we are or where we are on this track at susandavid.com slash learn? Yeah, well, that actually connects a lot with your previous question. So I've got a quiz. It's very brief, but it gives you a 10-page free report. 
And it connects both with your general levels of emotional agility, but also it starts to help you to sort through what some of your values are in different parts of your life. And around 110,000 people have taken that. That's at susandavid.com forward slash learn. And if people want to find out more, there's my book, Emotional Agility, and also my TED Talk, which is called The Gift and Power of Emotional Courage. Dr. Susan David, what a pleasure to talk to you. I have a feeling I've got three pages of notes here. We made it through one question. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, we'll do it again. Next time. It would be great to have you back. Thank you so much for your wisdom and for all you're doing. It's incredibly important. I'm very grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, JJ, yeah. a whole different perspective on... Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love and, it. and how great that we now make friends with our emotions rather than considering them mm-hmm. villains. So, you know, one of the things that happened to me recently was, you know, I found out that somebody, not in the company, but somebody had said some things behind my back. They weren't terribly mean, yeah. but they just weren't very kind. It didn't side with me. It was a perspective on something mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. definitely sort of villainous, and, and it bothered me. And I got angry. My wife will tell you, sometimes I vent to her, but she knows I'm never actually going to say that. To, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm like, here's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And because of this interview, I actually said, okay, what value is being stepped on? If you're angry or frustrated or whatever, a value is being stepped on. And so I realized at that point, well, I actually do value loyalty. Loyalty was never super important to me until I became a leader. Mm-hmm. And then when you're a leader, you know, there's a lot of people who are just out to get you. And so... Loyalty matters. You want to surround yourself by people who are loyal. And then I was able to identify, wait, I don't think this is anger. Anger is usually a disguised emotion. I'm sad because I really like this person. Yeah. And I thought they liked me. Well, that changes it. Because if I would have just responded emotionally, I would have said, I'm going to get you back and I'm going to teach you to never do this again. Yeah. But when I actually said, okay, I have a value of loyalty and this makes me sad, I was able to reconcile the relationship. And two things happened. Because I went in with the spirit of reconciliation, that person had been misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So there was never really a crime that, you know, it was commit- committed. Yeah. 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 No offense. No ha- offense. That actually really happened. And it created a better bond between us. Yeah. That's emotional agility. I think that's what Dr. David is talking about. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Super, super helpful. Yeah. But, you know, when we have tough conversations, the emotional ability allows you in the workplace to understand, hey, this is probably how this person is going to understand this. Let me navigate their emotions with them while we're also navigating this thing that we need to fix. Yeah. You know, a mistake that they made or something like that. It's huge. Raising your EQ matters. For sure. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep Hushed on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks as always for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 